The American Council of the Blind presents ACB Reports, a monthly news magazine containing topics of interest to people who are blind or have low vision. I'm Mike Duke. This month, learn about the work of the World Blind Union. Welcome to the holiday edition of ACB Reports for December 2020. The American Council of the Blind has long been an active participant in the World Blind Union. During the 2020 Virtual Conference and Convention of ACB, World Blind Union Treasurer Martine Abel Williamson of Auckland, New Zealand, discussed the important work of the WBU. She was introduced by ACB President Dan Spoon. At least once a convention, we get to hear from a renowned international guest. We are pleased and privileged to be joined by Martine Abel Williamson, who is the treasurer of the World Blind Union from Auckland, New Zealand. I think Auckland's about 40 miles west of Neptune, uh, if memory serves. <laughs> and I think, Martine, you're, you're at four o'clock in the morning. Welcome. Thank you so much for joining us. Congratulations for getting up so early. Talk to us about what's going on with this crazy intergalactic thing called the World Blind Union and also what you do nine to five. It's run about 20 past four in the morning. I really wanted to meet up with you in person and this is the closest I was going to get. So thank you for inviting me. It was so exciting to get an invitation. Pre-COVID-19, I got the invitation and I was like, yes, I'm going to go to the States again because last year this time, I was invited to uh, present at the NFB convention, and it was just amazing to attend something in person where I could meet with so many people, and then I thought, okay, fine, great, this time I'm going to meet with the ACB, and I was just on the verge of uh, booking my ticket when COVID-19 set in, and I thought, well, maybe next time, but still, this is really, and then I didn't want to miss the opportunity of presenting live in case there were any questions. I was I mean, a fortunate opportunity to have uh, met online with um, Dan Spoon and Kim. I'm on an um, audio description related advisory group with him. And I also know that ACP is very involved with World Blind Union related matters. So even though we're not together in person, I know there's so many collaborative things happening. I don't know whether you can hear very well from my accent because it's a bit mixed. I was born in Namibia, which is the old Southwest Africa. And actually from the word go, blindness really influenced the path of my life, fortunately or unfortunately. Uh, when I was six months old, my single mum realized that I was ignoring her and she probably thought, well, it's too early to be a teenager. I can't ignore her quite yet. She better get me to the doctor. And I was diagnosed with my Leber's congenital amaurosis, my eye condition, so being blind. And at the time, she was told that there is no opportunity for mainstream or special schooling in Namibia. And they that I'll need to go to South Africa for that. So uh, just after I was one year old, she um, packed us up, moved to South Africa. 
And even though she got a job there, I was still more than a thousand kilometers away from the special school for the blind. So at the age of five, I got sent to school for the blind for 13 years. You know, looking back, and many people regret uh, special school opportunities because they were not with their family and friends. It's a bit of a double-edged sword to me because I met some of the most amazing friends at special school. So although I'm very much in favor of inclusive and integrated schooling, one can't change your own path always. And I had actually a great time apart from missing out on family time. By the time I went to university, University of Pretoria, afterwards, I, I was closer to home and I tried to make up for good time. And I studied in the area of psychology and education. I really wanted to be a vet to start with because uh, as a, you know, I, I, I remember my first dream was to be a vet. I, I could build animals out of Lego. And I think my mum must have been very worried at the time because she was never a person to say, no, you can't do this and you shouldn't do that and don't go and play outside and things like that. And I, I thought maybe she had a bit of issues with me wanting to become a vet. But she never told me that I can't become a vet. So um, I remember about, I was about seven years old when I was on, at school holiday, I was home and I had to get up early to go to work with her because she couldn't leave me on my own at, at home. So she would cart me off with her to her workplace where she was a medical secretary. And I would sit in the filing room and listen to the radio and listen to cassettes and play with Lego and whatever. And this one morning I was like a bit grumpy because I had to get up early and it was during my school holiday. And she said to me, what are you going to do one day uh, when the farmers call you and you've got to go and help with um, animals giving birth and all some such? And I said, no, I don't want to become a vet anymore. I think I want to do something that I can get up later in the morning. So fortunately for her and um, the rest of the world, probably, that was the end of my wishes to become a vet. So she never had to break my aspirations or my dreams. She probably just had to wait for me to, to come to my senses. And that is how I will always remember her. She's here with us in New Zealand, but she has got stage two dementia. And unfortunately, although I'd love to share all my current adventures with her, um, she doesn't remember things very well. So it is tinged with sadness when I talk about all the opportunities that she allowed me to endeavor. And now um, it's very hard with her not being able to sort of um, hopefully see the, the fruits of her labor, really. So I moved to New Zealand in the mid-1990s. I was the only one left in my family, my brother-in-law and sister moved to New Zealand for teaching positions. So my accent is really a mixture of Afrikaans and Kiwi and New Zealand and whatever. Coming to New Zealand was bit hard as a disabled woman because again there was a gap on my CV. I struggled to get a job but long story short I started to work in a blindness agency where I was teaching braille and uh, computers and before too long I became involved with local government and I became an accessibility advisor and this is the work I'm very much involved in today uh, at World Blind Union level because at local government as many of you will know that it's got a lot to do with access to the environment and transport and how uh, footpaths, anything from footpaths or as you guys call it, sidewalk accessibility to trains and buses. So for my sins, I um, back in the disability area, 
of the working in um, the mainstream area. And I really enjoy it because I think the more of us that work in this area, the bigger difference we can make. And around about 2007, New Zealand had an opportunity to travel to China for our World Blunt Union Asia-Pacific Midterm Regional Assembly. And uh, our formalised uh, World Blunt Union representative suddenly became unavailable. And uh, me um, sticking up my hand for something before I know really what is implied, said, oh, you know, I come from other countries and I have travelled the world a little bit and I'm happy to represent us in China and people said fine and then I realized I'm still sitting on a with a South African visa it's very difficult to travel and that actually led me to get um, finally my New Zealand citizenship and to get a, a New Zealand passport because I thought if a country trusts me to represent them the least I can probably do is travel on their passport and so it is in 2007 that my um, linking with the World Blind Union started and I haven't looked back really. I was involved with Asia Pacific region. Um, I'm still the coordinator for the UN advocacy group, which is to do with human rights instruments, such as the Convention on the Rights of People with Disabilities, CEDAW, or I think you guys say CEDAW, which is the Convention on the Elimination of Discrimination, of End of Discrimination Against a Woman and a Girl. So, and then in 2000 and 12 or 13, I got asked to become involved in a global, to lead the global work on access to the environment and transport, because New Zealand was one of the first countries to develop shared and uh, accessible and safe shared spaces. And of course, that was a huge issue for many people because they've started to implement it in Europe in many countries, and it proved to be very dangerous because, again, it was a concept that there was no initial engagement with blind stakeholders. So it was very dangerous for people to venture in the same space where vehicles would. So in New Zealand, well, I don't think we've got it perfect, but we've got very well designed and very specific requirements around shared spaces so that by the time you do cross an area where vehicles can move as well, that you know you can be as safe as possible. So for my sins, someone at World Blind Level, Union Level, find that out. And I was contacted and started uh, the lead work about access to the environment and transport. And then in 2016, at our General Assembly in Orlando, where I did meet with some people from ACB, I was voted in as, as treasurer. So I'm on the I'm a table officer and on the global board of World Blunt Union. And it is really totally amazing to uh, be able to four or five times a year travel and uh, meet up with colleagues and talk about our four-year strategic plan and really look at the bigger picture. And um, for me, it, it's great to go to other developed countries because we learn so much from each other. But it's also awesome for me to go to developing countries. We often get asked to help liaise with national and central governments about inclusive education or access to the environment. And this is of, that is opportunities that is just so valuable to me. Because New Zealand is so far away from everybody except Australia and the Pacific Islands, it's often 
needed to, required for me just to travel on my own because can you imagine the cost if I took a guide? So I have landed in interesting situations. I know uh, the first time I went to Myanmar, that used to be Burma. Not only do you land there on your own as a blind person, but uh, people don't uh, always speak English and you can't just expect people to speak English and you can't just like any sighted tourist point and point and, 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 and sign and get your way around. You just have to to deal with it. Um, and again, what I always find of those countries are people are so extraordinarily uh, generous and, and kind. Even though when I was in Myanmar, I fell ill, um, we still don't know whether it was giardia or some food poisoning or whatever. And, um, you know, you, you do think when you end up in hospital, being on death's door, you do reflect on your life. And and I still wouldn't look back. People have said to me, oh, so you think you should not have traveled to a country such as Myanmar? And I'm like, no, I, I think we made a difference there. And... I just have to be careful. We all just have to be very careful. Which get me on to um, COVID-19. Kim has said for me to talk a little bit about what happened with COVID-19 here in New Zealand. And I've just returned from the United Arab Emirates in Abu Dhabi in February, mid-February. We went there to, I presented about um, smart cities. Many of you may know it as uh, the opportunity to link technology with the physical environment. You know, and I talked about how we link smart speakers such as uh, Amazon Alexa, Google Home, uh, all sorts of mobile phone apps with finding out information about the environment instead of just dealing with the physical environments. It was awesome traveling there. Hardly got back to New Zealand in the beginning of March when um, there was a great talk about COVID-19. And I didn't really take it very seriously because I was supposed to go to the Dominican Republic on the 23rd of March to go to the Southern American or Latin American World Blunt Union a regional assembly and I was looking so much forward to it so I had my ticket board I had my visa everything sorted I was supposed to travel through because you travel through the states to get to the Dominican Republic I had my Esther visa waiver everything sorted ready to um, travel and transit through the states when it started to look very clear that that will not be possible so um, I was asked to put my travels on hold and on midnight on the 24th of March, New Zealand went into total lockdown. And I think for many of us, it was like a once in a lifetime experience. Um, my husband's workstation was moved to home. I was here at home and uh, suddenly we went from really having a normal life to not having a normal life. I suppose it forced us to become quite tech savvy because I've never had so many Webex and Zoom meetings in my life. So fortunately, I think the angst around online connectivity got a bit dispelled through this. One's got to take the positive uh, with the negative. And we also realized at the time, because it is a time of reflection, that um, you know, how, how self-sustainable you need to be in your own home. Do you have your entertainment? Do you have books? Do you have, um, can you take your dogs for We've got two guide dogs between us. We were fortunate in the, in the situation that we were allowed to 
go for short walks, which I think is is really helpful. But dogs actually was felt very spoiled because I think they just thought for three months we were at home and they got all the attention. So I didn't think they were much affected by COVID-19, whereas humans were. Suddenly we had to do a lot of online shopping. Fortunately, in New Zealand, it's a bit of a quirky situation. And maybe in the States, you've got, I know you've got paratransit as an example, but we've got a system called Total Mobility, where we can travel half price with taxis because of our disability and the additional cost of taxis. And for the duration until 30 June, disabled people were able to travel free by taxis. So that was because we went, it was acknowledged that we, could not, once we went out of lockdown, manage social and physical distancing properly on buses and trains. I mean, can you imagine your dog would find a seat, but it'll probably be next to someone, or if you find someone with a cane, that you almost have to find someone before you can social distance. So um, that was really an amazing opportunity for us to still go out shopping and to medical appointments. And once the uh, lockdown was ended, at the beginning of June, allowed to go and visit friends and go to restaurants again. So um, I think it's a huge learning curve. And I think we're still experiencing the fallout. Uh, We're very fortunate in New Zealand that we exist out of a couple of islands. So we could literally lock down and reopen. And we just hope for the best because although we've got no... um, community transition at the moment, we have started to let uh, citizens back into the country and they are now being quarantined because some of them have got COVID-19. So clearly it's hard for them to be uh, distanced from the rest of us here in New Zealand. We're only just over 5 million people. So I think it's a bit felt that, you know, um, uh, it's a bit close to home of, of a few people starting to get it. But I want to extend my my best wishes and my condolences with all of you in the States, because I realized that uh, for a large country with so many different borders and states and uh, state governments and different policies, that it is very hard to get on top of a, of, um, a very debilitating condition. And people feel uh, the economy and people's livelihoods are being impacted. So back to World Blind Union Matters, briefly what we're focusing on the moment to do with access to the environment and transport is existing issues such as, uh, of course, access to shared spaces, quiet vehicles. Uh, We all know the um, dangers around trying to cross the road. And if you can't hear that there is a, a car coming, you can actually have the best of hearing and still place yourself in a dangerous situation. So... Uh, We work with one of your American colleagues, Frederick Schroeder. He's doing our representation at at UN level about that. We also don't just want to focus on, on current existing problems because the reality is that in many countries, footpaths, buses, trains, sidewalks, it will always be an issue. So we also focus on future opportunities such as self-driving and autonomous vehicles because the reality is before not too long, we will have the opportunity as blind people to access self-driving vehicles. But in order for that to happen, we will have to need to have an accessible machine human interface so that when we're in a vehicle, 
apart from knowing where everything is, it will know where we need to go to or if we need to disrupt the journey, how to we converse with the vehicle. Um, nowadays, all the technology is touchscreen pads and we all know with whiteware and other technology how hard that is. So we're working with vehicle manufacturers and state legislators around that because we don't want to be the 258 blind pe uh, million blind people across the world. We don't want to lose out. This can be life-changing for most of us. Also, something new in February, uh, under my guidance, my work group's guidance, we at World Blind Union adopted an e-scooter and micro-mobility device policy because clearly with e-scooters and all sorts of uh, devices on sidewalks, it is dangerous because, again, you can't hear them. People park them. They lie all over the, the, the crosswalks. I know in Europe, South America, Australia, New Zealand, those are real issues, are those e-scooters. Again, we can have all the mobility independent skills we need to and want to, but if we stumble across barriers such as e-scooters or if we can't hear them and um, they disrupt us, it can really be life-threatening. So it's really interesting time. So yes, we have to do with the good old favorite buses and trains matters, but we also try to focus on the future so that we're not always playing and catch-up mode, but so that we are proactive and working with industry and vehicle companies. And another final area, of course, is international travel with guide dogs. I've traveled last year to NFB, so it was 12 hours from Auckland to LA with my dog, uh, just under a couple of hours to Las Vegas. I don't know who was the, who was the happiest to get to Las Vegas, me to rest, <laughs> or the dog. You know, so I had to starve her for 24 hours before I got on the plane. And once I got to LA, I could give her a snack. And there was a, an airside uh, dog relief area, which was really great. So, you know, we're working and it was really hard. It cost me uh, in the vicinity of 2000 New Zealand dollars for her to travel. And it's mostly because of paperwork, not even because of a lot of um, medication and vaccinations coming back from the States. So I want to end with a proverb. Because I believe proverbs can really sum up the situation we're in. And COVID-19 has really forced us to think without face-to-face -face and physical contact, how can we still be linked with one another? And this is an ancient proverb because when Maori tribes traveled from Melanesia and Polynesia to New Zealand and they only had the stars in their kayaks and canoes, they probably never thought they would meet up with one another again. The proverb is... In spite of the distance, it's the horizon that connects us. And hopefully before not too long, we'll be able to catch up face to face and in person not be able to spend some proper time with you all. That was World Blind Union Treasurer Martine Abel Williamson of Auckland, New Zealand. From the American Council of the Blind, you're listening to ACB Reports. Thursday, December 3rd, was the International Day of Persons with Disabilities. While the date itself will be behind us by the time most people hear this edition of ACB Reports, here is the World Blind Union statement regarding the importance of this day. It is read by Mississippi Public Broadcasting's Jermaine Flood. WBU Statement on International Day of Persons with Disabilities, December 3rd, 2020. 
The World Blind Union joins the rest of the world on Thursday, December 3rd, 2020, to observe the International Day of Persons with Disabilities under the theme Building Back Better toward a disability-inclusive, accessible, and sustainable post-COVID-19 world. The annual observance of the International Day of Persons with Disabilities was proclaimed in 1992 by the United Nations General Assembly. It aims to promote the rights and well-beings of persons with disabilities and to increase awareness of their situation in every aspect of political, social, economic, and cultural life. As the world grapples with the effects of the COVID-19 pandemic, many decisions by policymakers have failed to take into consideration the rights of persons with disabilities enshrined in the UN Convention on the Rights of Persons with Disabilities and the Sustainable Development Goals. This is evident in our recent report, COVID-19 Amplifying Voices, Our Lives, Our Say, following a global study which examines the extent to which the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed some deep structural inequalities in society. Data gathered from the study is evidencing that persons with disabilities, older persons, and persons from lower socioeconomic status backgrounds are among those hardest hit by the pandemic. While this report puts a spotlight on the voices of blind and partially sighted persons, many of the experiences shared strongly resonate with numerous other studies conducted by organizations of persons with disabilities internationally. In order to ensure that no one is left behind in any aspect, we take this opportunity to call for effective collaboration with representative organizations of persons with disabilities, governments, communities, civil society, UN, and other international agencies, and the private sector, as we collectively strive to build and sustain a better, more inclusive post-COVID society. For further information about advancing the rights of persons with disabilities, visit the International Disability Alliance website, www.internationaldisabilityalliance.org. The World Blind Union, WBU, is the global organization that represents the estimated 253 million people worldwide who are blind or partially sighted. Members consist of organizations of blind people advocating on their own behalf and organizations that serve the blind in over 190 countries, as well as international organizations working in the field of vision impairment. Visit our website at www.worldblindunion.org. With special thanks to MPB's Jermaine Flood for her assistance, that concludes ACB Reports for December 2020. The program will return in January 2021 with an overview of what lies ahead for our organization as the COVID-19 pandemic continues. May the holidays you celebrate be healthy, happy, and above all, safe. See you next year. You've been listening to ACB Reports, heard on radio information services nationwide and throughout the world on acbradio.org. ACB Reports is produced at Radio Reading Service of Mississippi, a service of Mississippi Public Broadcasting. Contact the American Council of the Blind online at acb.org or phone 800-424-8666. Thanks for listening, and please join us again next month for another ACB Reports.